when I say good morning, family, that that isn't just some kind of platitude that makes us feel good, that it's something I actually believe, right? And one of the things that I come to understand about family, especially dealing with just the different ages of our specific children and helping other parents and doing different things, is that sometimes family doesn't go according to plan. <laughs> Who said that amen so loudly? Is that Brian? Oh, no, Guerrero, <laughs> right? And, and when we get together, we, we often think, all right, we know how A, B, C, D, and E are going to go, and everybody is going to just behave perfectly throughout the whole course of the worship setting. We know that's not reality, right? That the early church and even Jesus had to deal with just different challenges that sprang up because people are people and family are family. And one of the basic laws of nature, which, by the way, is decent and in order, is babies cry. So let's not be shocked when we hear a child cry or we see a parent get up and jerk snatch a teenager out of the pew. Uh, This is how family works. And we're happy that we're in this realm and able to engage in worship and study together as family because we understand the reality of what life is. And so I'm thankful for those times that we get to spend together. Want to also be thankful for our visitors this morning as well. If you haven't had a chance to fill out one of those cards that's on the back of the pew in front of you, please do uh, get it to one of the men that you saw serving here this morning or someone that you know is a member. They'll get it to who it needs to go to. We're looking just for a record of your attendance. We're not looking to try and sell you car insurance later on down the line and spam call you, but just really appreciate you being here. Before we get into the lesson this morning, I want to remind you of a couple of things that are going on. We have, since life groups have ended, at least for this year, we have rolled into winter nights and what the elders are wanting us to do during these Sunday evenings when we're not meeting as a life group is go back to the similar schedule that we were running this past summer. So first Sunday of the month will be our youth-led Devo. BJ's working with the boys to get that all handled out for next week as we've got the first Sunday, yeah, first Sunday of the month next week in December and January. Our second and fourth Sundays will be the out of the box. Well, the kids will help me figure out what the Bible has to say because often it's from the mouth of babes that truth comes out and we all gain a great lesson from that. So we'll spend our time together on that. Thursday, or sorry, third Sundays will be our combined singing for the evening. And man, we sang a ton last Sunday, didn't we? It was awesome. That we sang, I think we sang for about an hour and 15 minutes. If you got home and you were hoarse, you knew why. But that's what the elders have asked us to be engaging in until we pick back up with life groups first Sunday in February of 2022. Speaking of that, there's still plenty of room on the sign-up sheets in the back for life group. There's still room on the sign-up sheets if you're wanting to participate in the Everybody Can Sing workshop. Be prepared for the Christmas party that's coming up December 4th. There's one space left on the decoration sheet. If you are waiting for just that last opportunity to get your name on the sign-up sheet, we have reached it. Okay, I don't want to see a big WWE wrestling match in the back trying to get your name on there, but know that there's only one place left. And on that subject, I got a text from Karen Cash this morning. She's got pneumonia, guys. So let's keep Karen in our prayers as she tries to heal and get over all of this as she's going through and still trying to plan this Christmas party for us to enjoy on the fourth. So keep caring in your prayers for all of that. I hope and pray that our Thanksgiving was good. I'm assuming that it was. 
And I see a ton of visitors here this morning, so they can only be here because they're related to some of you. Okay, that one fell flat. Let's just get into the lesson. We find ourselves back in 1 Peter this morning. If you want to turn over there, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2. As we continue looking at the instruction that Peter is giving, we've been basing this series off of a man who has just basically learned from failure. Everything that we see Peter writing about is what he had to learn through all of the different failures that he had through all of this. But before we do that, so on the screen, this is what's called the Tower of Hercules. Now, this is the oldest functioning lighthouse in the world, okay? It it was designed by Gaius Sevius Lupus. It was dedicated to Mars, and it was modeled after the lighthouse in Alexandria. Now, it was commissioned, Trahan is the one who commissioned it and got it built because the region where the Tower of Hercules is actually built was notorious for shipwrecks. It had gotten known as the nickname of the coast of death by sailors, and the to the point where people wouldn't even sail around this area until they could actually see what was going on. And that was why the lighthouse was built there. And if you think about it, every building has a purpose, right? Think about it. Your house, it has a purpose. If you're going to work, that building that you work in was designed, hopefully, for work. And even follies, you guys know what a folly is? It's like a gazebo, okay, that most people say have no purpose. A folly is just basically built out in the middle of your yard for people to look at. Even a folly has purpose. Everything, every building that is built has a purpose. And I don't think we spend a lot of time and energy uh, and money erecting a building that has no purpose, do we? Right, we're not the government. Let's just be upfront on this. If I'm going to put my time, money, and energy into raising a structure, I'm going to use it. Now, I may only use it once a year, but I'm going to use it. And it has a purpose for why I built it and why I wanted it. Or even if I'm not going to spend time, energy, and money in building a structure, say I'm just going to go buy something. Well, what I buy is going to fit the purpose that I want it to do. I don't just go out there and start throwing money at stuff and say, well, I don't really have a purpose for that, but it looks good, so I'll buy it. Do you guys do that? No one does that. Why don't we do that? You know, why don't we just just spend our time willy-nilly just going around and wasting time and energy for something that has no purpose? I would submit to you the reason we don't do that is because we think higher of ourselves than just going around doing things for no purpose. We want our lives to have purpose, don't we? We want what we're doing to be purposeful and also have a positive impact on those that are around us because that's the purpose for which we're living. Well, guys, do we honestly think (coughs) that God acts in a way contrary to the way that we normally act in those things? Whatever God does, and that's the point of Peter's, the section of the text we're going to find ourselves in this morning, whatever God does is on purpose, There's no random with God. There's no coincidence with God. It is all done on purpose through all of those things. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how purposeful God is in raising us as his children, okay? Uh, And that this thought continues as Peter is going to present to us some archaeological 
language, or architectural, I should say, language that we see not only is God intentional as a father, but he's also very intentional as a master builder and architect. And the building that he's designed and built has a very specific purpose. So read with me 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 1, even though we covered some of those verses a week or so ago. 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so, that may, so by it, excuse me, you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a, cho a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God, and you have received, or excuse me, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now think about this idea that Peter is presenting to us in terms of ancient building practices, all right? I think a lot of times we start thinking about a building, we automatically just start thinking about hammer, nails, power tools, and all of that other stuff that goes into our modern-day construction. Peter is not presenting to us a modern-day idea of what construction is. He's looking at it from the perspective of how buildings were built during his time and for years before he actually wrote this. You see, if you wanted a building constructed, what you would do is you'd hire a guy who was a stonemason. He was a guy that would spend hours looking over your plan and talking with you about what you wanted, and then he would go down to the quarry, and he only wants one thing and one thing only. You know what that is? The cornerstone. He has to have the perfect cornerstone, right? And he's going to pour over. And so the, the guys that work at the quarry, they're out there working and they're doing, and they're like, oh, hello, Mr. Stonemason, you want a cornerstone? Well, come over here down to the cornerstone aisle, which is aisle 14 at the quarry, by the way, and take a look at our selection of cornerstones. We've cut them all perfectly and everything is wonderful. Well, a stonemason that was actually worth anything would reject many of them as he was looking for the perfect one that would fit the plan for the building that he was constructing, okay? And he would pour over those stones. And it was more than likely a chance where the guy would look at the quarry master and say, you know what, I appreciate all the work you did over here, but these are garbage. I need you to cut me one just like I'm wanting, what I'm looking for. I need it to these specific dimensions. Let me know when you have one. And that's what we see God doing in his son, right? All of these cornerstones, all of these things down at the quarry, and he is the stonemason, all right? He's the master builder in all of this. Yeah, and he's looking, he says, I have, this is the perfect stone. And now understand something. God has found the perfect stone, the perfect cornerstone in Jesus, okay? 
But he, he's brought to the work site, going back to our first analogy. The stonemason gets the perfect cornerstone from the quarry, and he brings it over there, and all of his labors are there. And he's like, okay, I want this laid here. He gets it in place, and then all of his laborers look at him and go, man, you are an idiot. This cornerstone ain't going to work. And they completely reject it. No one in their, no laborer in their right mind would look at the stonemason and go, you have no idea what you're doing. They're going to see that he's the master, and he's the master for a reason, and they're going to accept those things. But as Peter is talking through all of these things, this cornerstone actually is rejected through all of this. He'll make that same point in Acts chapter 4, right? As Peter is preaching there, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He, Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, the perfect stone, according to God's specifications, is brought to the site. And the laborers look at the stone and say, God, you are an idiot. Not only do we reject the use of this stone, we're going to smash it. Peter takes us a little bit further into the imagery because, of course, smashing this stone doesn't really work. God raises him from the dead or he'll put the stone back together again. Peter takes us further into this imagery by saying, all right, he is the cornerstone. Everybody has this picture in their mind. It's an empty, flat space, and you got one giant cornerstone sitting there, right? But now it's time to get this house built, time to get this structure built. And so he is alive. He is this living stone. And so we come to this cornerstone. And this is beautiful imagery here, guys. We come to the cornerstone as different, as living stones, all right? And a stone gets put where the master says. No stone in its right mind comes up to a building site and goes, oh, by the way, stone mason, I need to be right here. This would be perfect for me and my talents. Whereas the stonemason has the entire structure already built in his head, the stones come and he says, this one is perfect right here. This one's perfect right here. Oh, Laborer, you think that one's perfect right here? That's why you're the laborer and I'm the master. Put it over there. We come to him as living stones, okay? And we are fitted in the exact spot that is necessary. Think about that personally, individually. Think about that for a second. We are put in place individually where we are needed, where we are necessary, on purpose. 
And God has this whole plan worked out. And he, so we come to Jesus as this cornerstone, and he puts us there. It's kind of like what our scripture reading was about in 1 Kings uh, chapter 6 this morning. I apologize for the typo in the bulletin. That's not Robin's fault. That's mine. <clears throat> Where the reading had said, the house, this is the temple that Solomon is building, right? The house, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared at the quarry, There was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built because when the stones came to the house, they were ready to be put in. And so as we, there's no hammer, there's no tong, there's nothing going on with the sound of work because by the time that we have been saved by Jesus, through our baptism, we are now fitted and ready to be put into the house. Okay? And we're put in as these living stones the way the master has designed it to be, according to his plan for the structure. And God has, whether we recognize it or not, God has specific plans for each of us individually as these stones where we're fitted according to his plan. You look back all the way to Exodus chapter 35, okay? Moses says to the sons of Israel, see, the Lord has called by name Basilel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship to make designs for working in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in <coughs> the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, so as to perform in every inventive work. He also has put in his heart to teach, both he and Oholiab, the son of Ahasmach, the son of, of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to perform every work of an engraver and of a designer and of an embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet material and fine linen and of a weaver as performers of every work and makers of design. God had specific plans for the tabernacle, guys. He did not leave that up to the interpretation of the builders that were doing those things. This was what he wanted. It was his design. That's how he set this thing up. Do we really think it's going to be any different now? If he had the purposeful plan then, that is going to carry forward, and he's going to act in the same way now. And they worked during the time of Moses according to the plan that God had given not according to their own personal bias, not what they thought was going to be better, but it was a thus saith the Lord type attitude that they presented in the building of the tabernacle. And Peter brings us back to this imagery and idea, and he tells us, listen, guys, you are being built for a purpose. Each of you individually being put where where you are necessary, where you are needed, And God's plan and God's purpose for us who have been fitted into this spiritual house, which, by the way, he designed and built, and his plan is going, begins with the focus of the distinctive nature of this house, of us as his house, okay? And he uses language like royal, holy, chosen throwing in other words like priesthood and nation to show us how absolutely distinctive his design for us is. You guys ever heard of Frank Lloyd Wright? You know who I'm talking about, the crazy architect that does some amazing stuff? One of my favorite houses that he's designed is Falling Water. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you, look it up. Your mind is going to be blown. 
And what, what he did was he took a natural waterfall that was in this section of, of, of land, and he built a house around it for that waterfall to water to flow through the house. And it did nothing to change the area around it. It had no impact on the world around it necessarily. But he, it was so purposeful in his design and his choice and so distinctive. So very different from anything that had been built. And that's how God works with us. We are so distinctive, so different that as he's building us and continuing to build on that cornerstone, our purpose is to be distinctive. And it's to be a lighthouse. How many of us remember a time before GPS? How many of us remember going on road trips with the Rand McNally? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? That giant map. And who was always in charge of navigation on your family trips? The wife, right? Because dad's driving. And she's reading. I'm going to tell you, these ladies know how to read a map. And I'm going to tell you another thing. These men think that their wives don't know how to read a map while they're out there, right? You remember all that went into planning trips back then? The kids are looking at me like, boomer, right? Do you remember all that went into the planning of it, right? And you're looking at the highways, and if you're like me, you're like, nope, I don't pay tolls because that's taxes, okay? So I need, to, I need to figure out, all right, but if I go this way, and how many of you actually measured out the mileage? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about and figuring out, okay, it, the mileage is 60 miles longer if we take this route, but we're going 55, so we'll save on gas, especially way back in the 70s because everybody cared about gas savings back then. There's that time before GPS when you needed maps, lighthouses, things that would warn of danger to travelers. Lighting those treacherous waterways for ships, leaving the open ocean or going out into the open ocean, sounding alarm when visibility was low because of fog or weather. God's purpose for building us the way that he is building us is to accomplish that very same thing. God said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now, we can call Jesus the supreme light source, can't we? But guess who is meant to also be that light? And what is the purpose of us being that light that shines out of darkness? Is it not to warn travelers of the treacherous nature of life? of the dangers that are there, things they can't see because the, the fog of sin has obscured their vision. They never learned how to read Rand McNally maps. But we are there and we proclaim, look at, back at what Peter had said, and we proclaim how excellent it is to be out of the darkness and in the light.
You ever, you ever heard of a redneck fix? Go to Jay Will's house, you'll see a few. You know what a redneck fix is, right? Where you, when you're looking at it, you can't figure out if that's ingenious or the exact opposite of ingenious. You know, like this. You, you guys see what's going on here? This looks like a, oh, that's a Lincoln LTD. I would say probably 1977. Anybody want to disagree with the year on that? How many of us had one of these cars? These were amazingly comfortable land yachts, by the way. AC is out. Simple fix. Bolt a generator to the trunk lid of that thing and put a window AC unit in the side. Bam. I can't tell if that's ingenious or not. Or this one. A little bit more simple, right? Jay Will's looking at that going, that's a good idea. <laughs> Put some ice in that PVC. That's air conditioning, baby. Right? This is, this is what we used to call back in the day 4 by 65 AC. You know what I'm talking about? All right, four windows down, 65 miles an hour. Or this one. Peter says, you call out to God for help, and he helps. This is from the message translation. You call out to God for help, and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father, and he won't let you get by with sloppy living. The reason God doesn't want us to, be, to live sloppily and the reason why he's not going to let us get away with sloppy living is because he moved forward very deliberately and very purposefully to accomplish his plans for us. And we chose this, remember? We chose it. He didn't force it on us. We chose this. We saw the benefits. We saw the blessings, we saw the power of God, and we came with this choice to the cornerstone. We understood the mercy that was poured out on us. We understand that we have been taken from nothing and made into something. And we understand how excellent it is to be this spiritual house. Living stones built upon the chief cornerstone. I am convinced, guys, the world and those in the world will continue. There will be a continual rejection of this cornerstone. Why they reject it, I think, is actually very simple. Because it means to accept him as the chief cornerstone, we must, by faith, put ourselves on the back burner. And he must be chief. It's a challenge we all face every day, even those of us who have chosen to not be chief, right? That we have to continually choose every day to not be the master, to be that stone placed where God put us according to his plan and according to his purpose. And I think at times we don't think of it in that way, right? 
We don't think about, let's just use Boulevard for an example. We don't think about, well, why am I here? And really, the answer to that question is simple. We're here, you're here, I'm here, because God said, I've got a perfect place for that stone. And it's necessary. And he put you there. Of course, the responsibility falls on us to continue to be the stone. And to live according to his purpose. Looking to accomplish what he's called us to be. We live in light. And it is excellent. We are not called to live in darkness. It's one of the benefits and blessings that come from being a child of God. Brian's going to have a stand and sing the song here in a, about a 10-second window. Let this be an opportunity for us to rededicate ourselves as light, to rededicate ourselves as living stones who come to the chief cornerstone, allowing ourselves to be placed exactly where God would have us, according to his plan, according to his purpose, that we shun self in this. And we let him work and let him do and be thankful that we have such a father who loves us, such a master builder who knows exactly where we need to be. And perhaps you're with us this morning and you've not become a Christian. You haven't been refined at the core. You haven't been cut down and, and dealt with so that when the stone comes to the house, it's just ready to get put in place. Well, that's, that's a simple fix, guys. God, I think God works through us no matter whether we call ourselves Christian or non-Christian. He's going to work on us whether we call ourselves Christian or non-Christian. And, and for those non-Christians that are being worked on, the final step of being brought to the house is the confession of Jesus as Lord. Calling him the chief. Not continuing to reject him, but embracing him by faith. Not making that acknowledgement publicly. Right? And this is one of the really cool things about God. Right? There's no such thing as private Christianity. It's all done publicly. And we make the confession of Jesus. We're baptized. We're going to deal with this when we get there in 1 Peter. And we're baptized, and our sins are washed away. Amen. And we're raised a new creature, added to the kingdom. Oh, stone put into the building. Working according to his purpose. And man, aren't we thankful that we're doing that. If you've not done that this morning, if you have a need, a prayer request, counsel from the elders, whatever it is that we can do for you. Understand that the opportunity while we stand and sing is available to you. It's also available as the elders are in the back room for anyone that needs counsel at that time as well. We're here for you. We love you. And we want to be to you who God has called us to be. Make it known while we stand and sing.